Hello, and welcome to the Thrive Online Podcast. This is our sermon series podcast, and I wanted to thank you for joining us today. As we get going, I wanted to say that whether you are tuning in today from the car, the gym, or even your work or home, we pray that today's message inspires you and that it gives you hope and builds your faith. So let's lean in, turn up the volume, and get excited as we get ready to learn today. I have to say, I'm I'm excited for the next four weeks. Today, we start a brand new series called Easter Eggs. Easter eggs. What we're going to do is we're going to look at four key Old Testament passages that are they're like the Easter eggs. Um, they're the clues, the references, the foreshadowing of what is going to come, of what's going to come. And these Old Testament passages are all pointing to the same thing, this Messiah, Jesus, coming to this world to be our Savior. And these Old, Old Testament passages are going to show us that it was God's rescue plan from the beginning to save humanity from their sins. So I want to take a moment and read a passage from Paul's letter to the Galatians, the church in Galatia. And um, what it's going to do is help kind of set a frame for our time together. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there uh, to Galatians chapter four, starting in verse one. And in this passage, Paul points out this perfect timing of God's plan. And so I'm going to read kind of a, a good chunk of it here through verse seven. And you can follow along on the screen or you can read it in your Bibles there in front of you. This is what Paul says to the people in Galatia. He says, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves his inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up. Even though they actually own everything their father had, they they have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, everybody say right time. Say it again, right time. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Somebody say, come on. That's good. That is good stuff. That is so good. At just the right time, God sent Jesus. At just the right time, all the pieces of the puzzle came together. At just the right time, the clues to God's master plan, these Easter eggs were confirmed in the person of Jesus. Can we just take a moment right now and invite Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning so that we can fully understand the awesomeness of at just the right time. Would you join me? Heavenly Father, we come to you today as a church that wants to grow. We want to learn. We want to become more like you. And so as we read your scripture, as we talk about this, this plan that you had for saving creation, would you help our eyes to see, help our ears to hear, give our hearts an openness to understand, and most of all, give us the courage to obey whatever it is you ask of us to do in response to what we hear. In Jesus' powerful name, and everyone said, amen, amen. All right, guys, I have to tell you something. Um, This is kind of a personal confession here, but um, I'm not a fan of snakes. I'm not a fan of snakes. 
I'm just not. Never have been. Don't like them. Uh, snakes are kind of gross. Uh, I grew up in a city. Colorado Springs was a city that was known to have, like, on the news, probably every summer, there was at least one time where they would say, hey, um, this restaurant is closed because of an infestation of rattlesnakes, right? Like, just, they kind of find places. Homes would kind of, like, get shut down. They'd have to call people in. And our house actually was in a, like, this kind of right up, backed right up against the city park that was very arid and dry. And, like, there was, it was known to have a lot of rattlesnakes in this particular area. So I, I didn't really necessarily grow up loving snakes. Snakes feel weird, right? If you've ever held one, they just feel weird. Um, they move weird. Like some of them inch, some of them kind of do that. They're just weird, right? Like they just, I don't like snakes. They, they make hideous sounds, you know? Like I just, snakes are not my favorite thing. Not to mention that snakes are the second most dangerous creature in all of the, all of the world. The second most, second of all the creatures, like think about like sharks and lions and like other kinds of animals, like hippos are even dangerous, right? Like those are, snakes are the most dangerous, second most dangerous. Do you know what comes in first place? Mosquitoes, right? It's snakes and mosquitoes, like like they're right up there. I hate both of them, okay? Like fair enough, right? Um, Now I don't want to hear any of you like snake apologists coming and trying to tell me Pastor Dave, not all snakes are bad. To that I say, have you ever watched a snake eat something? It is the most horrendous thing to ever watch. When I was in college, there was a guy on our, on our floor that, that had a, a three-foot-long snake. It would have been longer, but its tail got cut off. And so it was, like, it was like shorter than it should have been. But he had it in his dorm room, which he wasn't supposed to, but nobody wanted to say anything about it because he might put the snake in our room. So we just kind of let it go. But every, every month or so, he would kind of come and say, hey, it's feeding time. And so he'd show up and he'd have these rats that he would get, right? And he'd like hold it over the tank and the snake would kind of do its thing. And it, like, I, I watched it once because I was curious. I'd never seen a snake kind of do its thing like that before, up close and personal. And I wish I never would have. It is the most horrendous thing you could ever see. And, and to add on top of that, when I, was in, when I was in high school, 16 years old, I went to go wash my mom's car. And so I had to back the car down behind the house and our hose was up underneath the deck. And, and so it was a hot summer day and I went to go and turn on the hose and, and like, say this is the spigot, right? I went to go turn it on and the snake was right there. Rattlesnake, right there, right, like there. <laughs> Freaked me out, man. That was like the scariest thing. I, I literally thought, my, I like, I'm 16. My life's not supposed to flash before my eyes yet. Snakes are not my favorite thing. In fact, in, in our house, um, I would say this, like, we, we save the word hate for like Satan and, and sin, but I would add another S word to that, and it would be snakes. It's okay to hate snakes. And here's why. Here's why. Uh, because I, I think that um, our, in our culture, in our, in our psyche, not liking snakes has kind of been hard-baked into our thought process. Because all you have to do is look at the Garden of Eden. You go all the way back to the beginning, right? And at the very beginning, this, this idea of snakes kind of just comes out to us as being something evil or something not good for us to be around. Now, I'm just wondering here today, is there any other snake-averse people like myself? You're snake-averse people. Okay, okay, the rest of you, get help. (laughs) I'm just kidding, kind of. There's grace for you too. Okay, but here's the thing. The imagery of the snake of being evil stems all the way back to the beginning. 
But it's also in this very same moment where we, we kind of see this picture of the serpent, the snake being this evil thing, but that we also get our very first Easter egg. We get our very first uh, mention or our very first idea that God has something bigger in store. Many of us know the story in the Garden of Eden, the fall of mankind, but let me just summarize it for maybe some of us who don't know the story real well. And I'm going to really just jump through this like big, big 30,000 foot view. You've got man, been created, all of creation, the world, the planets, the skies, all the things created. Then God makes man, calls it, shapes him, says man is made in my own image, and he sets man to do some work, right? So the man starts doing some work, but then he realizes it's not good for this man to be alone. And so, uh, so he, he crafts and creates a woman to come alongside him because he needed a helpmate. All the men in the house said, amen. All the ladies say, that's right. <laughs> it's like, I have, a, I have a theory. This is just a theory. This is just my own thing. But, I, you know, Adam was given this job of naming the animals. And that's when God realized, like, none of these animals that I've created are a good helpmate to him. So I'm going to create a new, like, amazing, amazing thing called a woman. And she's going to help him. I think that Adam tried to name all the animals. And he probably didn't do a very good job. And so then when Eve came along, she had to correct him. Because where else would you get the name Flamingo from? Like, I just don't see, a, I don't see Adam saying Flamingo, right? Like, I just don't, koala bear. I just don't see him doing that. I think that, I think Eve was a great helpmate. She probably came along and said, hey, good try first time around. Let me give you some suggestions, some notes, and maybe let's go with these names instead. That's where Adam and Eve are. They're in paradise. They're living in paradise. Everything is going great. They have, they have everything at their fingertips. There's no need that they have. And then what happens? In Genesis 3, verse 1, something happens that changes the course of our history, says, the serpent, everybody says serpent, was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from the tree of the garden? That one question threw the world into chaos because it, be, it caused Eve to begin to question the goodness of God and her place in the world. And she chose to ignore God's command. And, and Adam, Adam knew God's command and he chose to follow along. And so what happens is God shows up to have his walk and talk with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He comes to hang out with them, to talk with them about their day. You know, what animals did you name and how did you care for the trees and, and where did you take your nap and, and like what was the fa your favorite swimming spot? Like what? He's just talking with them and interacting with them, having relationship with them and he can't find them. He knows what happened. So he calls out to them and they're hiding from him, realizing and recognizing that they're naked and now they are ashamed. So God asks them what happens, and, and what they do is they start to point fingers. Adam blames Eve, Eve blames the serpent, and so what does God do? Well, a just God has to respond. And so he pronounces a judgment, and there's where we recognize that there's always a consequence to sin. He says to the woman that she would have pain in childbirth. He says to the man that you're going to struggle against the ground and you're going to have to work hard for everything that you get. You're going to sweat and toil and struggle. But the greater consequence of their sin was that God, the one who created them, could no longer be in their presence like he once was because he is a holy God. And so he had to cast them out of this paradise because of their sin. 
And let's not forget the serpent. The serpent doesn't get off the hook because this is actually where we get to see this Easter egg come out. It's in God's judgment of the serpent that we are given this Easter egg of God's plan for redemption. It's in this moment that we would, he would point to the future, the restoration between God and humanity. In Genesis 3, 14 and 15, this is what it says. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild, and you will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. Now watch closely here. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Let's read that one more time. (laughs) And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. This sentence is God's declaration of his eternal plan. He doesn't leave humanity without hope. He doesn't turn his back on creation. He gives us an Easter egg for what the future holds. If you're a note taker, you might write this next thing down. This big idea for our time together today is simply this. From the very beginning, God's plan was for Jesus to rescue humanity from sin and evil. It was always God's plan to rescue humanity from sin and evil. So over the next few moments, what I want us to do is I want us to consider how it was that Jesus, the Son of God, was the fulfillment of this foreshadowing, this Easter egg that God made all the way back in the garden. How was Jesus able to restore the relationship between God and humanity? I want to take us to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. That's all the way into the New Testament. If you want to turn there, it'll be up on the screen as well. says this, uh, here's the big idea for this, this part in chapter four, in verse 14. Verse 14 says, because God's children are human beings made flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. So the first thing that Jesus had to do was simply this. He had to become fully human. For Jesus to be the answer, he had to become fully human because it was through humanity that there was separation. And so someone had to come and be fully human to take their place. Being human is hard. Somebody say amen. (laughs) Being human is hard. We've all had to live through it, right? We've all experienced our whole lives. And humanity is broken. Its relationship with God is separation. And so it had to be a human that would restore it. The problem was that there was no human to that point before Jesus came. No human had ever lived up to the standard to actually pay the price, to actually meet the debt that needed to be paid. So God sent his one and only son, Jesus, to be born of a virgin so that he could be fully God and fully human. And Jesus had to experience all of humanity in every way. He had to experience infancy. Think about that. We talk a lot about it around Christmas time, don't we? Jesus coming and being taking the form of a a human, taking the form of a baby and living on this earth. Just but think about that. Fully God, fully human. Infancy. Now, think about his toddler years, right? Do you think Jesus had terrible twos? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Like how, like, how much, like how cognizant was he of his godness when he was two? I don't know. But he was fully God and he was fully human. Now, think about Jesus as a teenager going through puberty. 
and all the things that that comes that goes along with that. He was fully God, fully human. He had to experience it. He had to experience gaining an education. He had to learn all of the Old Testament and understand the prophets and, and the teachers of the law. And he had to understand all of that. In fact, he knew it so well that when he went to the temple, when he was 13, he went to the temple and what happens? He starts to kind of school the teachers there on the law because he understood it. So he's, he was well-educated. He also had to go through having a first job, having an only job, Right? We know Jesus to be a carpenter. He took on his father's work. He fully experienced humanity. He had to feel sorrow and joy, amusement, disappointment, friendships, bullies, praise, cursing, healing, and excruciating pain. And the final thing that he had to experience fully as a human was death. This person who came to this earth, who was fully God and fully human, had to experience death. Why? Jesus had to die to defeat death. We read on in this passage in Hebrews, it says, For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had power over death. Jesus had to die to break the power of death, which is what each and every one of us owes because of our sin. It was going to take the perfect sacrifice to break the power that Satan had over humanity. Death was the consequence of Adam's sin, but for the one who was perfect, the one who never sinned, death could not claim him. Death could not hold him in the grave. Amen? So on the third day, death had to release Jesus back to life. But not before the death of the sinless man, Jesus, not before he paid for the price of our debt so that every human could receive it, so that every human could receive forgiveness. And so we read in verse 15, only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Jesus' death set us free from the debt of sin. Paul says in, in Romans, he says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So when we sin, what we receive for that in payment is death. But Jesus came to make a new way. I love how Paul says it here in, in Romans 1219, because he, he kind of draws this parallel between Adam and Jesus. And I just want to read through this slowly and let the scriptures speak to us this morning. In verse 12, it says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace. Everybody say grace. And his gift of forgiveness, say forgiveness, to many through this one man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of the one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. Think about that. 
Think about your life right now. Think about where you're at and just acknowledge the fact that you have many sins. I have many sins. We all do. But here's the great thing. God had a plan. Even because of our, our, our many sins, God had a gracious plan in place. Verse 17, I love this. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Come on, church. That is amazing. But remember, all the way back in Genesis, God told us about this plan. God told us that, that, the, that the woman was going to have this son and that the snake was going to bite onto his heel, bruise his heel, but that this son was going to crush the head of the serpent. When Christ died on the cross for us, he crushed the head of the serpent. We are no longer slaves to that sin. We are free if we receive Christ. Verse 18, yes, Adam is... Adam's one sin brought condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Everybody say everyone. Everyone. That means the person that you don't really like at your co uh, you know your coworker that you don't really like, it's for them too. That neighbor that always complains about your yard not being mowed perfectly, them too. That family member that maybe you have tension with that you maybe you rub up against, them too. People who, who destroy lives, his grace is available to them too. It's, avail it's available for you. I love verse 19, because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, obeyed him completely, many will be made righteous. God's plan for us was to always make a way to give us hope, to let us know that there is someone who would come and pay the price for our sins, that someone would come and die in our place and do what only he could do. It needed to be a human to do it because it was a human that caused the separation. And Jesus came and took on flesh and was willing to be the one to be sacrificed. Because of one man's sin, sin affected all of humanity. Because of one man's act of righteousness, by dying on the cross for our sins, we are set free from the grip of Satan. Jesus fulfilled the prophecy, this Easter egg that was hidden way back in the garden, and we are all blessed for it. Amen? I'm going to invite our worship team to come. For those of us here this morning who have received this forgiveness that Jesus offered on the cross for our sins, I want to encourage you in the next few moments as the band is going to play through a song, we're going to have an opportunity to grab these communion elements, that you take them and you take them back to your seat and you really consider, consider all that, that Christ has saved you from. For some of us, he saved us out of a life where we just lived the way we wanted to live and, and we were like so far away from him. And he saved us. He pulled us back from that. For others of us, he saved us from ever experiencing that because maybe in our circumstances, we were given uh, different opportunities to kind of not have to live a lifestyle where we have to pursue those things. And so maybe we have loving parents. Maybe we have a great life, whatever it might be. And so we've not had to go down that same track, but we've still messed up. We've still sinned. 
I want us to consider what is it that God has saved you from? Acknowledge it and thank him for being the one that was willing to be the sacrifice because it could only be him. There was no plan B in God's big plan. It wasn't like, okay, here's plan A, but if everything doesn't work out just right, then we've got plan B. No, plan A, and it was going to work out. Paul says, at just the right time, when all the pieces came together, when it was the perfect time, Christ came and did what only he could do. Thank the Father for taking his son and sending him to this earth to take our place and making a way for you and I to have new life, a new life in Christ. I also want to take a moment and address those here today who have never fully surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you know a lot about Jesus. Maybe you were fortunate enough to grow up in a church, but your relationship with Jesus is like being a friend of a friend. Like your friend is really close to Jesus or your parents were really close to Jesus, but you were kind of just like on the outside looking in. But you could say like, if people were like, do you know Jesus? You'd be like, yeah, I know Jesus. But you never actually invited him into your life. You never actually made it personal. Today, I want want, want to give you an opportunity to change that. Today, you can call on Jesus' name and receive the full blessing of his forgiveness over your life. And in that moment, he will come and fill you with his Holy Spirit. And as you surrender to the voice of the Spirit, trusting him to lead you and to guide you in paths of right thinking and right living, he will begin to transform you from the inside out. Today, you can exchange your current life that is headed toward death and eternal separation from God because of your choices, or you can begin to live your life in Christ for eternity starting now. You can continue to be burdened by the weight of your sin, or you can be forgiven and set free in new life. Now I have to tell you this, I I wanna be upfront and honest with you. If you make this decision today, you need to know, it doesn't mean that your life will now be perfect and everything is gonna go your way. In fact, Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Understand this, you will still face trials and struggles. Why? Because we have an enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. That just because we've now got a relationship with Christ doesn't mean he doesn't want to tear us down and wipe us out. And so we need to continue to just put our trust in him, understanding that God will help us through every circumstance. And you can stand strong knowing that you have a Holy Spirit empowering you, that you have Jesus in heaven advocating for you, and you have a heavenly Father who now can embrace you once again because you've made, been made holy and right in his sight through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. So this morning, if you're ready to turn your life over to the one who knows every hair on your head, if you want to go from spiritual death to life, all you have to do is confess your sin and declare Jesus Christ as your Lord. What does that mean? It means you choose to be a disciple of Jesus, studying the things he taught and living how those teachings tell you to live. That's what it means. He forgives you when you confess and you declare him as Lord of your life, the one in control. And if you're ready to do that, I would love to help you take your first step today by leading you in a very simple prayer that helps walk you through a confession and declaration. If you're ready to do that, would you repeat this prayer after me? Lord Jesus, I confess my sins and ask for your forgiveness. 
please come into my heart as my Lord and Savior. Take complete control of my life and help me to walk in your footsteps by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for saving me and for answering my prayer. Amen. Would you stand with me? Hey, thanks again for joining us for Thrive Online this week. For more information about our church, go to thrivesquim.com and fill out a connection card. I hope you have a great rest of your week, and we will see you next week, either in person or right here on the Thrive Online Podcast.